Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, when I first read through the Gospel reading and preparing for the sermon this morning, I asked the question, am I missing something? It seems to either say too little on one hand or too much. It says too little to satisfy me about the details of the manager's situation. We're in the dark about the precise accusations that were leading to his dismissal. Were they true? Or was he framed? We hear what he does to fix himself a soft place to land after getting fired. But in doing so, was he cheating his master out of debts that were properly owed? Or was he simply taking a huge cut out of his own exorbitant commission? And did it work? It says the master commended or praised the manager for acting so shrewdly. But did he still fire the guy? Did he say something like, Hey, I know you've been cheating me and filling your own pockets at my expense, but I can sure appreciate a good con when I see one. It's a great pleasure to watch someone who's a real pro at work. Way to play all those angles. That was a really ingenious scheme. But you're still fired. The text leaves a bunch of questions unanswered because it seems to say too little. At the same time, it seems to say too much. First, there's this thing about the Master or maybe the Lord Jesus Himself in verse 8. That noun in Greek, hokurios, can mean either Master or Lord. And He is praising this scheming, selfish, no-good embezzler. Wouldn't this whole story be a lot easier to understand without that? And then there's no mistaking that it is Jesus who tells His disciples to do something similar to what the dishonest manager did. Leave out that part and we can figure out the moral of the story. Pastor Chris or I can even make productive use out of that when we teach a tough sermon on stewardship. But in some ways, the text says too much for us to extract easy morals about money. And the real rub you see here is precisely this. Our Lord Jesus is the one telling the story. Because when we want to hack through this rather puzzling text, the problem isn't that the guy's boss praised him or whether or not he gave him the boot. No. What really gnaws at me is when we hear our own Lord and Savior say, I myself tell you, use righteous wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This all sounds rather crass and self-serving, manipulative, and shrewd. 
Surely we can't get praised by our Lord Jesus for that kind of blatantly selfish materialism. Well, no, we can't. The point is not about the money. It's about learning to be faithful. And that starts with small stuff. Stuff that doesn't last. Little stuff like money. And by the way, the fact that it is called very little is not a reference to the size of one's paycheck. The values that are mentioned in the parable are actually fairly large sums. It's called very little because it doesn't have any ultimate lasting value. You can still have very little with a six-figure income. Now, if you can be trusted with something like that, then you can be trusted with more important things. The servant who proved himself faithful in very small things was put in charge of ten cities. That's how Jesus, your Master, deals with His servants. So the story starts out looking like something boring and mundane, like a sermon about money. And it turns out to be something really important and exciting. Like our relationship with our Lord. So for a moment, let's say that you have a teenage daughter that you were going to teach how to drive. And from your perspective, this should be really easy and straightforward educational experience. Why? Because you are a highly skilled driver with an excellent safety record and a thorough knowledge of the vehicle. She, on the other hand, is an inexperienced beginner who needs to learn what you know, and you are willing to teach her. Learning to drive is about learning a skill. You have the information that she needs. So what happens? She drives. You sit in the passenger seat and coach, and comment, and direct, and sometimes just hold on and pray. But somehow, from her perspective, the whole thing looks different. It's not about information. It's about emotion. It's not about learning a skill. It's about relationships. Now let's say your daughter has the annoying habit of looking straight ahead as she's driving backwards in reverse. Okay? You point this out to her on several occasions and instruct her what the proper procedure is for driving in reverse. And what's her response? Instead of wisely accepting your correction and dutifully practicing the safe way to back up a vehicle, she pouts. She says, you don't have to yell at me. Now, as a matter of fact, you only yell when you are in immediate danger. But it doesn't matter. 
her feelings are still hurt. She's a little angry and on the verge of tears at the same time. Now, what we can learn from your teenage daughter is that painfully, she's right. This really is about relationships, which in the grand scheme of things, really is more important than information and skills and helpful pointers that you share with her. So we need to figure out how to be loving and affirming while at the same time trying to keep her alive whenever she gets behind the wheel. In thinking about this adventure in cross-cultural communication, through the lens of this puzzling text in Luke's Gospel, I can see now that just like driving with teenagers, this text is not exactly about what I thought it was about. It looks like a story from Jesus about financial ethics and proper stewardship. But then you get this weird thing about the guy's boss praising him for his behavior. And even Jesus commends him and advises us to do something like that, which doesn't really sound right. But you see, it's not really about money. Now you may remember that old saying, when somebody tells you it's not about the money, it's about the money. But I really mean it. This is not about money. This is not the place that you go in the Bible to find secrets for effective management or personal investing principles that really work. No. It's not about the money. It's about knowing who we serve. You have to choose one or the other. God or money. Because we can't serve both. People think that they can, but they will wind up cheating one of their masters and it's usually not money that loses. Or maybe we don't even think that we're trying to serve these two masters because deep down we'd really rather be the master ourselves that has two servants. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. It won't work. Jesus is right. You have to know who you serve. You have to make up your mind. Because that's what you need to navigate and handle the murky, ambiguous, and often unsavory financial necessities of life. The world of money can be a wild and crazy place. Because at times, it is a deceptive and dangerous spiritual place. To sum it up, be incredibly honest with your money. Don't steal from your boss. Don't lie on financial aid forms. Don't play creative accounting games when you do your taxes. Or finagle the system to exploit barely plausible loopholes. Don't spend more than you have. Pay your debts. Just be incredibly honest with your money. God really wants you and me to do that. Not because the money is really all that important in itself, but because the God we serve is important. So this actually turns out to be more about the first commandment than about the seventh. 
It's about serving God and using money, not the other way around. It's about learning to be trustworthy with stuff that is not even ours in the first place. Because we are not even ours. We've been bought with a price. You know that it was not paid for with perishable things like silver or gold. Peter describes it this way in chapter 1 of his first letter. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were redeemed. Christ is your substitute, took your place and mine, paying the penalty of our guilt. God's wrath was satisfied. You were redeemed from an empty way of life by the precious blood of Jesus. What for? Well, to paraphrase what it says in Luther's small catechism, so that you may be His own. Live under Him in His kingdom. Serve Him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. All for which it is our duty to thank and praise, serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.